Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus. Do life together, get in the game and leave a legacy. If this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith, subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it too. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Today, though, we are continuing. We started a series last, a series last week called Pray Like Jesus, where we're going to take the next four to six weeks. I'm not sure yet. And we're going to really study and say, if we're going to like Jesus this, this year, one of the central themes and central focuses of Jesus's life was prayer. But it's not just what he prayed, it's when he prayed and who he prayed and who he prayed to. So we are going to dive in today and we're going to say, you know, you know, not just what Jesus prayed, because last, because last week Isaiah, uh, uh, he started off with this this concept last week of of saying to pray like Jesus is to pray God's will, and to pray God's will is to pray this: God, I want what you want. Can we say that together right now? Say, God, I want what you want. One more time, God, I want what you want. And here's the thing, if we're going to pray like Jesus, you will see Jesus did not pray according to what he wanted. He prayed according to what his father wanted. But the thing is, is this, right? Trying to get to know what somebody wants only, uh, only occurs through relationship. Like I've been married to my wife for 13 years. And I don't know about you, but that question on date nights would always rise up. Where do you want to eat? For years, it was like rolling dice. So, you know, I know, John, I just, you know what, just whatever you want. Oh, okay, cool. Olive Garden. Well, any, you know, Italian, I don't know if Italian. And it's like, you know, it's like for a lot, like I did not, but now that we've been together for 13 years, I pretty much know what my wife wants is going to be boiled down into one of three things. Five guys, Mexican. Or olive, I mean, or something Italian. Like, I know it's going to fall within one of those. But that has occurred, how? Being in relationship and daily communication and going through this thing called relationship. And the thing is this, right? The purpose of prayer is ultimately relationship. We can sometimes think prayer is just about you getting what you want. You come to God with a bunch of list needs like he's Santa Claus or a genie. But the ultimate purpose of prayer is relationship. And the life source to any relationship is communication. How many of y'all been in those relationships? You're speaking and you speak and you're just like, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Because <laughs> you're talking, but they can't un- understand. They're talking, you, you can, you're communicating, but they're not understanding. But ultimately, when you think about prayer, it is communicating at its simplest form. Prayer is communicating with God, not just what you say, but what God says back. So the purpose of prayer is relationship. The life source of any relationship is communication, and that is what prayer is. And I think we see this this sort of rhythm in Jesus' life that we're going to look at today, that the fuel that kept Jesus going was his daily communion with, his daily relationship with his father. 
in prayer. Because what we see is Jesus was intentional to get away and to spend time in prayer. There is this small two-verse segment in the book of Luke that talks about Jesus. And Luke was one of the gospel was one of the gospel writers, which if you go through this, this pray like Jesus journey with us, you'll actually read through the whole book of, of Luke. And Luke was a, hist, was, was a historian who put together an orderly account of Jesus's, of, of Jesus's life and what happened. But one of the things that Luke points out that we can so easily pass over, but gives us a glimpse into the kind of prayer life and, and how we need to be as followers of Jesus to pray like like Jesus is, is actually found in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. And it says this here. It says, Yet the news about him and, the, and him being Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So I want you to see what happened here. Jesus got busier. His schedule was growing. The appointments were coming in. Business was booming. He was, his schedule was out of control. I mean, you think you heal, I mean, healing people, feeding people, teaching teaching people his schedule it says news about him spread so so there were tweets there was facebook posts there was gossip going on there was instagram posts like so the crowds of people came to him to hear him preach and to be healed of their sicknesses and you would think what this would typically do in our society is the busier you get the less time you spend doing stuff that fills your soul and spirit up but you see what Jesus does. He got busier, but then says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Here's the point. As Jesus got busier, his time in prayer got more intentional. And Jesus taught his disciples something in John chapter 15 that I believe he just did not teach them. He put into practice for himself. This is what it says in John 15, 4 through 8. Jesus was teaching his disciples. He, this, he said this, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus was teaching a principle here, showing that your life source, like the source of your life, the source of health, the source of clarity, the, the source of in the insanity and busyness of your life, life, that life source is being in connection with God in prayer. Now, our culture would tell you something different, right? The, the culture says you just don't need connection with God. You need more efficient processes. Just, just become better at something so you can do more. And then when you say, what, what you, get, you can just do more and more and more and more. And why do we have a culture of burnout? 
mental health issues, living on the outside but dead on the inside, is because I think we have developed a culture where we are just burning minds, hearts, souls, and spirits out because the mores never end. The mores just never end. And then you go scrolling, well, man, I, sh- I should be sexy like that. I need to work out more. Man, I wish I was skinny. I need to eat less. <laughs> man, look how, look how efficient they are. I just, I need to have a better to-do list. And y'all, all of this stuff, just like mores and mores and mores. And what does that do? When we don't do the mores, we develop guilt. And then we develop, I'm not good enough. And then that goes into our self-esteem. And then our self-esteem puts us down in a spiral. And then we're, dep- do y'all feel this? Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to put words to what you're feeling. But I'm also saying there's another way. As a follower of Jesus, that Jesus modeled us and Jesus showed us. It says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed as his schedule got busier. I want to focus on that word often. It says Jesus often withdrew. You know, here's the thing. Jesus had a rhythm. He had a schedule. He had a discipline of getting away to spend time with his father. And I think we miss this about Jesus often is Jesus was not just the son of God and did what he did because he was the son of God and because he had a great destiny. A lot of what Jesus did was because he had a lifestyle of discipline. Jesus was 100% God, he had 100% man. So do you know all the cravings and feelings, urges and stuff that you feel? Scripture says Jesus felt that. That, that, but then it said this, Jesus often had a, a, he had a rhythm, a schedule, a discipline of getting away to spend time with his father. Jesus did not just have, have, have the desire to do good things for God or to pray. His disciplines matched the desires of his heart, which ultimately led him towards his ultimate destiny. Here's the thing, we miss that about Jesus. Oh man, Jesus healed, Jesus did stuff, he taught so good because, man, he, he just was the son of God. Yeah, but you can also see at 12 years old, he was in the temple with these balling rab- rabbis asking them questions and learning and studying. He just wasn't smart because he was the son of God. He was smart because of his disciplined study and reasoning in the synagogue. We miss that about Jesus. Completely miss that. But, but when I look at Jesus' life and when I studied the Gospels and said, what three, like what is worded in the Gospels that shows what disciplines or customs that, that Jesus had? And let me show you the three that I found and that, and, and that I saw, like of where it was worded to where Jesus had a rhythm or a discipline. These were the top three things that I saw. First off, the one that we're studying now, Luke 5, 6, 16. He often got away to pray. That was one discipline. The second one, though, is, is this. In Luke 4, 16, it says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus went to church. I think we missed that. I mean, how many Christians nowadays are, I love Jesus, but not the church. Just, yep. I mean, what if Jesus was like, I love myself, but I'm not going to synagogue. 
Jesus had a discipline, like where he would actually go, he would set aside a time, a certain place to go and be in community. And I, I think, you know, because we, anyway, okay, anyway. Thirdly, I'll get to all that later. Third, third though, is uh, in Mark 10.1, it says, again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them about the kingdom of God. So you can see the three things worded within the four gospels that of disciplines or customs that Jesus had. One, it was getting away to pray. Two, it was going to church. And three, it was telling people about the kingdom of God. I want to be more like Jesus. It's so simple yet so profound. And how we can sometimes take Christianity and complicate the living snot out of it. When Jesus just said, you know what? He got away. He, he withdrew to pray. He went to church, and he told people about the kingdom of God. See, here's the thing. Jesus knew his destiny, but it was his discipline that got him there. Let me ask, let me ask you this here. Do your disciplines match the desires of your heart and the destiny you desire? Because honestly, right, Christians are the best at this. Well, God's a God of grace. He's just the God of grace. Jesus is grace. So then you know what that does for you is whenever you don't follow through on what, you're, on what you know disciplines you, you, you should be going through, it's just, well, you know, Jesus is cool with it. When, you know what the great thing is? Jesus is full of grace. You're right. But it also says Jesus is full of grace and truth. Not grace or truth. Grace and truth, where you might not, not say, yeah, you know, okay, you didn't do disciplines, whatever. There he is full of grace, but he's also saying, do you realize what you're missing out on when you don't go through these disciplines that cultivate a life of relationship with the Father? He's not beating you down. Here's, here's the thing. In Christianity, we have, we have taught for far, for far too long to feel bad about your sin instead of sad. There's a big difference between feeling bad and between feeling sad. When you feel bad, it's like, I suck, I'm terrible, God doesn't love me, and it's just all on you. But here's the thing, I don't believe we should feel bad for our sin, we should feel sad. Because ultimately, when you sin, you're missing out on God's best. It's, it's, it's like you're missing out on something that's going to unlock who you really are. We've got to get away from this feeling bad to be like, man, like, man, like, you know what? I, I screwed up here and I missed out on something that God had for me. And really, I, I think too, we've got to transition our thinking from trying to be like Jesus to we are training to be like Jesus. And let me tell you why. Right? If disciplines are the pathway to fulfilling our, to fulfilling our desires and the destiny that God, the, that God ultimately has for us, when you switch the mindset from I'm trying to be like Jesus to I'm training to be, to be like Jesus, it, makes, it puts a whole different spin on discipline. Right? He's right. Some, of, some of you struggle because you try to do the right things. Right? How many of you all been in this same cycle, this same loop? Trying to be like Jesus, man. Cussing people out, though. Hate everybody. Like, 
you know, it's just, you know, you, you got this, this, and your laundry list is different than this laundry list. You got the stuff, you, you know, it's like, I'm trying, I'm trying to be like Jesus. And then whenever you try and, and you fail, many of you get into the, well, what's the point? I can't do it. Why? Why? Why even try? And then that puts you in a downward path of developing terrible habits, life-controlling addictions, that then you realize once you get down to the bottom, you're like, man, I, I got to try again. I got to try harder. And then you try hard, and you realize you can't do it. And then you just get down depressed and mad and angry at yourself. You feel bad, so then you get shame and guilt and condemnation to bury you deeper. This is the cycle so many Christians are on because they're trying let me release you today. Let me release your heart today. You are not at, if you said, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior, and I want to be like you, you are not trying to be like Jesus, because there's not enough trying you could do to make you like him. Trying is useless activity. Why? Because there's nothing you could do to make God love you more or to make God love you. He loves you because of what he did. You could not live a perfect life. Jesus did. You would be a totally imperfect sacrifice because you sinned. If you went and died on the cross, God, look how much I love you. You're imperfect. But Jesus went and lived a life. You could not live a perfect, a perfect life. Went and died a sinner's death in your place. He just didn't die for you. He died as you. But then the thing is, he, he died, but death could not hold him down because he never sinned. So the, so the thing was, his spirit, though his physical body died, his spirit never died. So the thing is, right, whenever you see Jesus rise from the dead, his spirit overtook his physical body, and life just exploded out of him because death could not hold him down. So the thing is this, right, Jesus, whenever you say you put your faith and trust in Jesus, essentially what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not trusting my own good works, my, my own way. I'm throwing that down, and I'm receiving the gift that Jesus won and Jesus purchased and Jesus bought for me. I'm not trying to get it. I'm receiving it. And that's what makes it grace. That's what makes it grace. And that's why Paul says you're, not, you're, you're saved by grace through faith, meaning grace is a gift. You simply receive it, and you've, it's received by putting your trust in what Jesus did, not what you did. So then here's the crazy thing. You are automatically, when you receive that free, which your identity becomes who Jesus says you are, which is healed, forgiven, loved, chosen, and the thing is this, now you aren't trying to be those things. You already are. So then the thing is this, the disciplines that Jesus invites us to do are the purpose of them is to train you to be who you already are. You're not trying to be someone, you're not trying to, you already are like Jesus because of what Jesus did for you. The disciplines bring that out of you. I hope y'all are getting this. Because sometimes I can explain stuff and I get it. But I'm like, y'all ain't getting it. Because y'all, this is so freeing. This will save you so much grief, heartache. Because then you see disciplines differently. You don't see them as curses thrown on you. You see them as blessings to be received. Of when Jesus went and Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He was building the relationship he already had with God, with his father. And here's the thing, right? 
as you switch from trying to be like Jesus to training to be like Jesus, you'll see discipline as a blessing. You'll see the opportunity to read the Bible instead of I have to, to I get to. You'll see prayer of, oh, God, I got a prayer. God's going to hate me. To I get to be in relationship with the God, the king, creator of the world. It'll take all of the things that throughout your whole life, well, I got to do this so God won't hate me. You'll see them as, I get to do these things because of who I already am in Christ. And as I do these things, these transform me into the image of the one I'm trying to be like anyway, and that is Jesus. And that is the thing. The the disciplines that Jesus had were not to receive anything from God. They were to bring out of him who he already was. I hope you're seeing that. But y'all, the thing is, let me tell you, three prayer, prayer killers slash relation. Like these three things will kill relationships and kill prayer. Because these are the three things that culture is trying to tsunami you to do and to be. The first one's this hurry. Sorry, I'm going to take this coat off. I'm sweating to death. (laughs) Hurry, distraction, and formulas. And we're going to walk through these three things. If you want to kill any relationship, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friendship, whether it's your prayer life with the Lord, the three things that are particularly unique about this culture that we are currently in in the in the united states is these three things will kill it hurry let's talk about hurry you feel just the hurry we're in we're like jesus i love you i know you can do anything but you got 30 minutes to do it i got a game to watch i got a movie to see i got a show to binge watch and it's it's like we're given the god that created and keeps time a limit. Michael Zigarelli, speaking about hurry and distractions, said this here. He was, uh, he was at the Charleston Southern University School of Business, and he, and, he could, and he conducted an obstacles to growth survey of over 20,000 Christians across the globe and identified hurry and busyness as a major hindrance to growing in your relationship with the Lord. He said this, and maybe the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Samuel Chadwick said this, hurry is the death of prayer. John Mark Comer a pastor in, in, Portland, in Portland, Oregon, uh, shared this description in his book, The Relentless, uh, the Relentless Elimination of Hurry. He shared this personal uh, account. He said this, hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments as a father, husband, and, and a pastor, even as a human being, are when I'm in a hurry. Late for an appointment, behind on my unrealistic to-do list trying to cram too much into my day. I use anger, tension, a critical nagging, the antithesis of love. If you don't believe me, next time you're trying to get, and this is so my life. If you don't believe me, next time I'm trying to get your type B wife and three young, easily distracted children out of the house and you're running late, just pay attention to how you relate to them. Does it look and feel like love? Or is it far more in the vein of 
agitation, anger, abiding comment, a rough glare. Hurry and love are oil and water. They simply do not mix. Bill Gautier said this, to live unhurried is not just about the speed at which we're moving. It's especially about our attitude. Hurry is a symptom of exaggerated self-importance and trying to do too much. It steals from us the precious moment at hand. Can you feel this? This is what our culture is trying to just tsunami us with. Hurry, efficiency, get it done. And I mean, we want spiritual growth to be some app Hurry. download on our phones. Why am I not different, Lord? Hurry. And really what you see in, in Jesus' life is something called a process. But one of the things that we prioritize in, in our culture is trying to circumvent a process so we can get efficiency. When that is good when you're working in a business, but terrible when you're talking about being developed and shaped and formed to be more like Jesus. That takes a while. But we are a formulamatic people. Give us five ways, three ways. When really what we see in Jesus' life, there was one way going through the process. Not only though, hurry is, is, a, cultural, is a cultural hazard for us in developing prayer, but also distraction. My God. Can y'all see that? That's a phone. Like, how many of you know this is the biggest blessing and the biggest burden in your life? It's just a tool of distraction, right? And distraction is killing us. I mean, do you just feel how it's like everything is just shouting, look at me, look at me, right? So, so much so, the experts say that within the last 20 years, our attention span as United States citizen has dipped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds, and goldfish have, have attention span of nine seconds. So we've dipped below the fish. But this is what our culture is training us to do. Why? Whatever gets your attention gets your resources. Have you ever just, I mean, it's crazy how, how many impulse buys I've done scrolling on Instagram. I'm like, how did they know I needed that? But I really didn't need it. It just heard me talking about it. <laughs> Weird. Um, but there's a battle for your attention going on. So much so, economists are calling our current economy the, the attention economy, where the economy is totally built on how in the heck can we get people's attention. It said the companies are said to be in an arms race for people's attention. James Williams, who used to work for Google but left to study the ethics of persuasion and attention at, at Oxford University, said that the tech industry is the largest, most standardized, and most centralized form of attentional control in human history. Sean Parker, who was the first president of Facebook and is now a conscientious objector to social media, said this, the thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked to comment on a photo or post or whatever, and that's going to, give, that's going to get you to contribute more content, and that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop. 
exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. My God. Our culture is being meticulously designed to distract you and get you what? Addicted. And really, it's almost like through all the noise, through all of these shiny, sexy things saying, look at me, look at me. It's almost God is quietly out there saying, when you're ready, I'm here. I'm here. But as United States citizen, the belly of the beast that we are in, the tsunami that we feel and know are true is hurry and busyness are just trying to consume us to where we can't even hear the voice of God and to where we don't even strive to do as Jesus did, often getting away, often withdrawing to lonely places so we can pray. I mean, how many of y'all feel that? Like, you have a desire to pray. Like, sincerely, you know you should pray. You want to pray. And you're like, I'm going to pray today. I'm going to pray. You get by yourself. And, I mean, every emotion and feeling and thought just rushes at you, and you're like, oh my God, I can't do this. I'm just not a person of silence. I just can't do this. I'm not wired for this. So then we start saying things that aren't really true, but it's just because we can't cope. It's because we've developed such bad disciplines that we take like good things that we need and demonize them. When it, you know, it's not that God is not speaking. It's just that we aren't taking time to pay attention. And what your soul needs, what your mind needs, what your spirit needs, what your schedule needs is not more information or knowledge. It is communion with the God of heaven and earth. Rollheiser said this, it's not that we have anything against God, depth and spirit. We We would like these, it's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in, now this is obviously before COVID, more interested in the theater, sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Do you feel this? It's almost like we have been offered and given two paths. In our, right, it It's either the path that Jesus gives us, offers to us of saying, hey, look, often withdraw yourself to get in a place of communing with me and you'll find your life source. Or the culture's way that says, I'm gonna get you so busy, so so distracted and help you see prayer as just some formula that you won't be able to carry out the desires because you won't cultivate the discipline." put that slide up. These are the two paths that as followers of Jesus, we are offered and given, not just in what we pray, God, I want what you want, but how can we pray that if we don't have time set aside to actually do it? And not just pray, God, I want, but then actually listen to hear what he wants. So y'all, the truth is that so much about prayer is practical. What to pray, yes, but then you've got to have the discipline to set aside time. But the disciplines are not burdens, they're blessings. Here's saying Jesus often withdrew to pray. It means that he intentionally set aside time to get away from the hustle and bustle 
of life to spend time in relationship with his father. That is one of the paths. That, that is, as followers of Jesus, what is offered to us. The culture says, hey, you can have the desire to pray, but you're too busy and too distracted. And when you pray, just use a formula to get what you want quicker. So then we actually turn prayer not into what we get relationship. We turn it in, into I'm spending prayer just so I can get something from you, God. Which totally ruins prayer. Because you're, then you're trying to get something from God. You're not trying to build relationship with God. So, what path do you want to take? Maybe what path are you currently on? And what path do you need to take? And what I would encourage you to do is if we're going to pray like Jesus, the path that we need to take is to start to develop the discipline of often withdrawing to places and praying and spending time with our Father. That's why I think this 14 days of prayer and fasting is so important. Why we, we are encouraging you to join us. And I know you might have questions. You might have wonderings like, we are here at, what should I fast? What should I, and, and y'all look, I get it. There's a bunch of different questions you, you can have. And we are here as your Lifehouse family, leaders, and pastors to help answer those questions which you have. We've actually put together a 14-day of prayer and fasting guide that answers some of those questions while also, too, taking your hand and guiding you through the 14 days to know what to pray, when to pray, how, how to pray, and walking you through those certain things. So the thing is this, right? As you decide to take the path of Jesus, often withdrawing to places and praying, maybe something you can do as, as a next step I said, you know, I want to join in on this 14 days of prayer and fasting. And if you have not done so yet, you can do that. One of, one of the simplest ways is just to text PAF, which stands for prayer and fasting, to 757-690-2401. Um, and each day you'll get an email sent to your inbox. We'll also send you the full guide. But we, we simply want to take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand and have you follow him so you can learn to pray like Jesus. So I would invite you, if you have not done, done, done so, would you take that step today? And here's the thing, right? You might say, John, but I know I'm going to, y'all, this isn't like, this 14-day prayer, it's, it's not a pass-fail thing. It's not like, well, if you don't go through the 14 days, God's going to hate you. No, look, if, if you can do seven, do seven. Do two, do two. If you stumble, get back up. Like, we're not trying, we're training, y'all. We're shifting our mindsets. We're not going to get buried in condemnation, guilt, and shame. When we fail, we get back up. I know who I am. I'm, I'm, Jesus died, died for, I'm not defined by my sin. Jesus told, tells me who I am. You got to learn to start speaking back to the devil and speaking back to yourself. And start having some self-talk. You know who you are, John. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus for the first, second, or third time today, please reach out to us at LifehouseNN.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next steps in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at LifehouseOnline.com or in person for a live worship service at 8.30 a.m. or 10.15 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit LifehouseNN.com for more information or to reserve your live worship service spot today.